Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Culinary School Stories podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. This is your first time joining us today. Thanks for being here and we appreciate you listening in. We hope you become a long-time listener and subscribe to the podcast because it's free. We would love to have you as part of our community. You can subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Apple, Google, as well as a whole lot more, or through our website at www.culinaryschoolstories.com, which is also where we store all of the podcast's past episodes, as well as our guest bios and contact information. So be sure to check it out at www.culinaryschoolstories.com. So now, without any further delay, I would like to introduce today's guest, was a great story to share with all of us. A retired chef and culinary educator, he was classically trained as a chef's apprentice and spent his academic pursuits studying food science. Since retiring, he now spends his time as a food and travel blogger and brand ambassador, creating content for his fans and readers worldwide. He currently has over 1 million followers on social media and his blog gets 8.5 million page views per year. With that said, it is my pleasure to welcome Chef Dennis Litley to the show. Dennis, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Colin. I really appreciate the opportunity to t- talk to your listeners. Great, great. So let's jump right into it. Now, I know you first started cooking at a very young age and that Graham Kerr, the galloping gourmet, was a big inspiration. But maybe you can start there and tell us about when you first knew food and cooking was going to be your career and how your family friend, Mama Jeanette, influenced that decision. Well, it's it's kind of a long story going back. You know, my first food memory was of me putting frozen waffles in a toaster that wasn't plugged in. <laughs> and I know I had to climb up on a little stool to do it, and, and I couldn't have been more than about three. But I think right then I knew that if I could make my own food, I could eat. So that that connected it. But my mother was a nurse, and she would work nights, and be, so she would be home during the day, and that meant she would sleep through lunch uh, during the summers or if I was off from school and didn't want to wake her up. So that's when I started getting into cooking on my own. And, you know, as a little round boy at that age, I certainly loved to eat. (laughs) And uh, coming from a a, a Mexican-American background, I had been spoiled by my Mexican grandmother who would just feed me till I would burst. And uh, that was kind of where I got my love for food, I think, from her. And my creative juices started flowing when I started cooking and seeing, you know, this isn't rocket science. This is about, you know, even back then, I know it was about just putting some flavors together that tasted good mm-hmm. and that would, you know, be satisfying. So I think at that age, whether I subconsciously knew it or whether I realized it, I, I knew that cooking was something I could do. I tried a lot of things over the years, but nothing ever felt quite as familiar or quite as satisfying as cooking. Mm-hmm. And so when did you decide like, oh, I, I should go to maybe get some education in this some academics? Was that like high school and most people happen or was it after the fact? You know, I, I took kind of a, a longer route around that and um, I did some wandering and that's when I ran into uh, Mama Jeanette uh, early on in my career and she kind of had an impact on me. I, I think the greatest gift she gave me was she had told me, you need to listen to food. She used to call me Sunny Boy. She was Sonny boy, you need to listen to food. And if you listen to it, it will tell you what it needs. Hmm. And the, you know, some people look at you and go, okay, you know, <laughs> what have you been smoking? And I'm like, huh? no, you know, seriously, you know, and that's kind of been, if I had any gifts in culinary, that was what I had. I was, I would look at something and know what seasoning it needed or know what other uh, vegetable or other add-on I could put in there to make it come alive. That's what kind of really guided me through most of my culinary career. So her bringing that out of me and teaching me to be a little more adventurous at eating, I think, is what drove me further and in, in, in opening my mind up to being creative. That's great advice you gave me. Now, where did you come across Mama Jeanette? Oh, she found me asleep on a um, 
on a park bench and said she'd been waiting for me. Really? Yeah, it was kind of a, it's a long, very interesting <laughs> story. And I said, uh, you know, I've been waiting for, she had a cup of coffee and I didn't know who she was. And it turned out that she was from Louisiana. I had been born in Louisiana and knew my parents, you know, wow. so from when she had her restaurant and they would go into the restaurant and uh, it's a little bit of whether you want to believe it or not, a little bit of a psychic connection there and um, spent some time with her and really got through a rough spot in my life. And I came back. And when I started working again, the person that I was working for was just simply brilliant. I was in a nursing home and she had been the food service director at the University of Pennsylvania. And she had been the head of the dietitians at the University of Pennsylvania. She had had her training at the Mayo Clinic and she was retired. Mm -hmm. So she was looking for someplace to work a few hours so she could buy her grandchildren some things. And just by luck of the cards, I ended up working with her and she taught me so much. And uh, again, how to get a lot more out of myself than I thought was possible. Wow. So these early influences on you had, a, you know, sounds like a big a, an impact on food and the love of food and cooking. Yeah. And then did you then go to school for you decide, okay, now I really want to pursue this? That's when I went to school. Okay. Where did you go and how did you pick the school that you did? Well, it was close by. It was easy to go to. They had a, a somewhat culinary program there. It was Atlanta Community College. And um, my parents actually paid for it because, again, I wasn't in a great place, but uh, it wasn't super expensive. And it was the first time in my life I ever applied myself in school. And I ended up with a 4.0 on the president's list, uh, carrying seven classes and working full time. Awesome. So it was it was another milestone in my movement, my career. And while I was at that nursing home, uh, one of my salespeople you know, I was about done, you know, as, as a chef, my tenure at places was usually five years was a sweet spot. After that, it kind of could go in bad directions just because I was bored. Um, people got tired of my <laughs> overwhelming attitude sometimes, I might like to say. <laughs> but I, uh, the guy said, you know, this guy's looking for someone to work in his kitchen. Doesn't pay anything. Uh, you can learn a lot. He's got, you know, the CIA trained chef, this big German chef and, him, and himself, and he was very knowledgeable. I went over there and started. And uh, the first day I worked there, I went in and at the end of the shift, I said, Bob, I wish I'd been more help. And he looked at me and said, yeah, I do too. <laughs> so I knew that. I knew that was a good place to be. He was honest, you know, and I figured as long as I really worked hard, I would learn a lot. And that's really where I rounded out my education. I was done with the book learning type stuff. And now this was practical and it was learning how to work in uh, severe situations. I'd like to say, because we had a ceiling that was about four inches taller than me. And it was small. It was cramped. Uh, it was just, I learned how to curse there pretty much. <laughs> you know. And then learned later on at another restaurant that that really wasn't appropriate. And I stopped. Um, uh, so it was a real big life lesson, but it made me appreciate just what was inside of me and what I could bring out when I cooked. And when I cooked, it felt like magic. Mm. It felt like something was really happening. Uh, it was my happy place that no matter how bad my day had been, no matter what was going on in my life, I could escape to this happy place and I could make other people happy. And I was being fulfilled. That's great. It sounds like this apprenticeship you had with this chef was more of a, or turned into more of a, more like a mentorship, right? He really had that influence on you. Absolutely. He was a uh, very stern when I first met him. I think he was, you know, big, a big man and very stern. And Dennis, do you know how to clean ducks? And I grabbed a can of Comet and a scrub brush and said, of course I do, Norman. Where are they? You know, and, and I kind of wore him down. Um, and, and he was just a really, really great guy, but he was trying to be more stern than he really was. And uh, we became best of friends and he taught me a lot. And just watching the owner, he did not that he spent much time talking to him, but he actually became more of a mentor throughout the rest of my life cooking. And when I hit a bad spot, I would go see him and talk to him and uh, communicate. And I ended up going back to his restaurant. Like I'd be in a bad spot for a while and I need a job and he'd hire me just about any time. 
Hmm. You know, you know, he goes, what's going on now? You want to come back for a while? I went, yes, I do. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he was there even after you had left that he was in your life, right? Yeah. Great. Sounds like a good, good, good guy. Good story. Um, so what did you do after that? Now you've got that training. You're going to branch off. You're going to go into your, your own restaurants, your own businesses to run. But you know, the grass is always greener. Sure. Um, I see the salesman come in, not sweating, dress nicely, happy. And I thought, you know, boy, I should do that. I should go over to the other side. Well, that didn't work out. You know, it's always greener until you, you get all the other things that are put onto you because of that. And, uh, but I did learn a lot selling food too. And I learned more how to communicate and how to, uh, uh, what other chefs were really looking for. So it broadened my horizon from this, you know, one restaurant that I had pretty much been working at to seeing all these different styles of restaurants, all these different types of chefs, cooks, uh, restaurant owners who were just doing the best they can. And then I found I could offer them some help, you know, not necessarily all the really talented French chefs that I was selling to, but uh, sometimes, you know, they'd ask me, Dennis, what do you think about this? Or how can you do this? So it opened up my mind to possibilities of, of talking with other professionals and seeing that, you know, we really can help each other. It's not about, it's not cutthroat. It's not about, you know, who can do better than the other person. It's, it's about collaboration. And I think that's when I first started to realize that, you know, a competitor is not necessarily a competitor. It's, it's your, can be your best friend if you let it, you know, and, and I would end up, becoming friends with some of these chefs and talking to them throughout my career at different things. And, and they'd moved to different restaurants. So I'd come sell them there and uh, things just, it, it changed my perspective on the process, I guess, on the cooking process. So again, it was another learning experience for me. It's great. And then at some point you transitioned into teaching, right? Yeah. So how did that happen? We're, we're along the path that you say, I need to do this. <laughs> Well, you know, after another stint in the restaurant, back with the same family, um, after I, I developed carpal tunnel in both hands mm. and uh, I, I tore a hamstring carrying this huge pot of sauce and not letting it spill. When I lunged forward, it popped. Mm. Uh, so I was starting to become a little bit of a mess. So I uh, had two surgeries on my hands and uh, doctor said, you really shouldn't do this anymore. So I went into a management company. I, I went to work for... Um, Sodexo at that point. Mm -hmm. And I actually was wood dining services and later became Sodexo. And, and I started managing more than cooking. And as, as things would have it, you know, I'm working at a unit there and uh, I kind of was feeding 5,000 people a day. You know, I was responsible. I wasn't feeding. I had a chef. I had a catering director. We were doing a million dollars in catering on the busy months. And I was like, just trying to run all this and coordinate it and keep everything going. And I had CIA trained chefs, some from Johnson and Wales there and, you know, very talented people. Uh, I had a, a chef walk in for a job who had cooked for Kings wow. and he was retired and his wife had kicked him out of the house and said, you just need to go do something. <laughs> and uh, Werner, and he was, uh, you know, after it took a while because he never said a word, but when I got to know him, he says, yes, I cooked for this crown prince. I cooked for this king. I cooked for this person. You know? It's like, wow. <laughs> so I had all these people. And after about a year there, I had burned out completely. And they sent me to another smaller unit where I could kind of recuperate, which is where I had sent all my employees that kind of burned out. And when I was there in my shirt and tie, standing around there, just kind of trying not to drool because I was so overworked and beat up. Uh, so one employee I'd sent there said, go into the kitchen and make yourself useful. And, and she scared me. So I went, okay. <laughs> so I went back into the kitchen and I started cooking again. It was in a very small kitchen. They used to get all their food delivered. And I said, I can't do that. I have to start making it all, making it all. And, and I drove the sales up about 600% from the time I started cooking over the next three months in this small unit and it kind of blew it out. And then it was like, I'm back. <laughs> you know, I'm cook I can cook and I'm back. <laughs> and uh, that kind of got me back to cooking again. And then that led to my second carpal tunnel surgery, <laughs> which I needed. And then I says, all right, I got to stop this. And I ended up at the school. Um, a friend of mine, my, my district manager had moved and I called him and said, where are you? Well, I'm with a compass group now. I got a job for you in Flower Town. And I went, I'm not going to Flower Town. 
you know, he goes, no, 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 go. And it turned out to be flower isn't bread flower. Oh. I was thinking flower isn't the, you know, a daisy. And I says, wow, this really is prophetic in some way. And the school was old and not really well maintained and just, it was just wasn't a good situation. It was a school for girls. Yes. All, all girls school for 600 high school girls. And um, I looked at it and I'm going, ah, I don't know about this. And the principal says, and you work 161 days a year. And I went, when would you like me to start? <laughs> as soon as she told me how little I had to work and the length of the day, I was like, oh, I can do this. So I spent the next few years transforming the kitchen in the school and cleaning it up and replacing items and making it bring it into the modern times. Uh, the girls, it was a love-hate relationship because they had never eaten that good and eaten real food. You know, they were used to just chicken fingers and French fries. And I went, oh, well, of course, we'll still have that, but we're going to have chicken marsala. We're going to have sushi. We're going to have uh, roasted vegetables. We're going to have, you know, all these wonderful things on the salad bar. Yeah. And the, the girls ended up painting a mural of me on the wall in the cafeteria, wow. the art class. And it was like, wow. And then they, they dedicated it to me, too. It was like, it was really blew my mind. Wow. And uh, at that point, I decided, you know, I need to start teaching my own staff because I'd have functions and anybody that's ever hired temps know it can go one of two ways and it's usually the bad way. And uh, I said, let me start training my, my own staff. So I, I started a culinary program and I had 60 girls sign up the first year and they ended up with 11 actually at the end of the year, 10 of them were freshmen. One was a sophomore because all the older girls just couldn't fit it into their schedule. Right. They just were so busy. All of them went to college. It was 100% of them went to college. Uh, they weren't all well-to-do. There was a mixture of, you know, just blue collar workers. And then, you know, some that were well-to-do from the area. Uh, but I ended up with these 10, 11 girls. They didn't know what I was doing. They just said, Dennis is not causing any problems. He's a good guy. The girls love him. We're not even going to worry about what he's doing. So at the end of the year, we had our big function. And I told him, I says, all right, everybody wear black pants, black shoes, wear a t-shirt. I'll give you a jacket. I'll show you how to wear the apron. So you look really cool. Not in working, but so you look good. And I dressed them all up and walked them out into this big function. And you could have heard a pin drop. Wow. And it was like, wow. Uh, Really, you know, I'd, I'd had a lot of fun with them over the year, teaching them how to make things. You know, those girls, they were sponges, just soaking up everything I had to say, you know, and everything we would make, we were making bread, we were making, you know, salad dressings, we were sauteing dishes, we were baking desserts, we were just having a good time and and eating and just love. And they were like, oh my God, look at all the food we get to eat. You know, it's just, and then other girls that were there would come in to see if there was anything left after class, you know, yeah. you have anything left. So, you know, we'd feed them and it, it just kind of was a real happy time. And uh, after four years of running the class, I finally ended up leaving through a series of more injuries to my body, just beating mm -hmm. up my body. And I'd had three of the girls for the whole four years. And I think the, the biggest highlight of my career in teaching was we had a reevaluation of the school. And I was really, really sick when these people came to reevaluate the school. And we had a function, of course. So my girls set the room, made all the food with me sitting in the office, just trying not to die, clear, uh, served the food, cleared the room, and they gave us a point of excellence. There were two points of excellence that year for the school. One was the robotics team and one was the culinary class. That's great. Yeah. So what was the, you know, some of the most rewarding, you know, moments that you had there besides things like this, this excellence? I mean, just to have that impact on the girls and changing their lives. That, that was it, you know, and it was never about, and I was told them, it's not about, I, I, I don't want you to go to culinary school. If you do, that's great. But that, that's not why I'm doing this. I want you to see that there's nothing magical about cooking. It's not rock. One of my favorite sayings is it's not rocket science. And, and hearing them say that to the, the new girls when they were teaching, you know, was like, wow, that's <laughs> funny. Uh, but just, I wanted them to be able to feed their families. I wanted them to see that, you know, they don't have to order out. They don't have to, to uh, get ready to made food. I mean, that all has its time and a place. And I, I'm never speaking about buying something ready to eat. You know, that's, that's, it happens. It's just part of life. Right. But, you know, I wanted you to see that, you know, you can cook, you can have fun. 
You can bring your significant other into the kitchen. You can bring your kids into the kitchen. And in fact, the president of the of the club actually went on to start teaching younger children how to cook. And it's just like, she got so inspired. I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. Right, right. You know, it's not about, you know, I created this wonderful, magnificent chef who opened a restaurant, you know, which would be great too, but this is what I was trying to do. And when I started my blog, that was the philosophy I carry across through it, to teach people that food is not something that is difficult to master, or it's not something that you can't create in your own home. It's just a matter of learning some tips and tricks that as restaurant chefs or as professional chefs that we take for granted. Right, right. So would you ever go into teaching again? Is that something that, you know, you got the bug then, you got inspired, or that was a one-time thing? You know, I, I thought about it when we moved to Florida. There's actually a really uh, a really great place here, the Rosen School for Business, and he has a culinary program. Uh, man, is just amazing the things he's done mm. to help the, the community and help people. And uh, I thought about this, you know, chefs know how, they, they know how to, I don't ever want to go back to cooking again, to teaching cooking again. That's just, I'm kind of tired. But I said, they need to know how to do social media. They need to know how to set pictures. I mean, even if it's just taking them with their phone, they need to know how to do live videos really quick from their restaurants. You know, hey, this is what I'm making today. Uh, come by and, and, and tell them to ask, this, ask for the chef and I'll send something out to you. You know, just to learn how to really work their business because business has changed. How we run restaurants and how we sell food has completely changed over the years of social media. And it's no longer about, you know, ads in the paper or uh, it's word of mouth still, but it's a different kind of word of mouth. Mm -hmm. It's it's word of mouth via, via your images on social media, how the food looked are now even with TikTok, you know, these, again, it's very short bites of what are you doing? What can I see? What can I, you know, what can I do for you? Uh, just being more of a personality, larger than life kind of a thing to draw people in. Yeah, that's that's key today. And I, when I was teaching, I had uh, at, at Johnson & Wales, I had started an elective class called media training for the culinary student just for those reasons you mentioned because it's no longer back of the house the chef people want to see the chef they want you out front and yep. the, you're going to be doing farmers markets or maybe local news or you know maybe you got to promote some classes or training you need to be the face of the kitchen so you need to know how to do social media and yep. you know blogging so whether you start a podcast whether you do a youtube channel whether you give lessons i mean all of that's packaged and it's just necessary Necessary today. Oh, it is. It is. Like I said, it's 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 moved forward in a way that it really makes me feel proud to be part of the culinary community. I, I love the open kitchen concept. You know, we've gone from being a very guarded, you know, like honestly, in the beginning of my career, you asked me for a recipe, you might as well ask for one of my children. You're getting it, you know. Right. Uh, but now, you know, when I started blogging, it was like, of course I'll give it to you. And then please, you have to do it this way. You have to do this step. This is the little secret. This is the magic touch that I add at the end. I know it's not going to be quite as good as I make it, you know, and the chefs out there know it's not going to be the same, but it's, I wanted to get as close as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that builds another layer of bond, you know, with this restaurant, with this chef, with the community. And, you know, again, take some of the uh, mysticism out of cooking, you know, again, it's, it's food, it's food. It's very simple, common ground that we all share. Right. Well, as you mentioned, that course would be, a, a, I think, a big hit and needed. So if it ever comes to fruition, I'd love to collaborate with you. Oh, absolutely. You. I'm just here in Florida, too, a little south of you. So you know, we could team up and do something like that. I, I, I'm all in for that because people need to know that today. Yeah, I, I think in the world now, you know, I had not committed to it when I thought of it because it just was going to seem like it was going to take too much of my time. And it wasn't so much the class, but it was getting to the class and getting back from the class and knowing me how much I time I would sit there just talking to the students because I, I love to interact with younger people. It just I've done some stuff at UCF. I've taught some classes over there mm -hmm. and uh, on be a one force and uh, just being there just really re reinvigorates you, you know, makes you feel happy and to be part of the future that's coming. So you never know. And you know, maybe online would be a, a way to go about doing it too. Yeah, so true. So let's transition into your blog. So you got, you retired and then yep. we're just talking about social media now. So at what point did you, you know, grab on and say, I'm all in and start cooking classes, blogs, getting that fan base. Tell us about that, how it came to, to be what it is today. 
that was really another kind of, I don't know, right place, right time kind of thing, or just got lucky. It was, uh, I had started the blog as a resource for my students. I wanted them to have some place to go to ask me questions to when I post recipes to talk about what we did in class. And none of them wanted any of that. They just wanted to come to my office and talk to me. Uh, but other students at the school and teachers at the school started going there. And I started, I joined a blogging organization and it really gave me exposure worldwide. I mean, I was no stretch of the imagination, a big blogger, but it gave me access to bloggers all over the world. And I started making friends and, and again, seeing how different foods were prepared. And again, it was another reinvigoration of my career at that point. And that really led to me blogging more. And when I did write, retire from the school and we moved to Florida, I had more time to spend. Mm -hmm. And about the year I think we moved, uh, Google Plus started. And it was a love-hate thing. People loved it and people hated it. You know, there was no middle, middle space on that. But I had like found my people. I, I was there and I was just loving it. And I was laughing and listening to music and sharing recipes. And my blog was still pretty new then. So it wasn't like I was a very big blogger. And um, for some reason, I was I got approached by this guy who wanted to run culinary classes online. And it was like, wow, this is revolutionary. This is amazing. This is going to, I'm going to be able to quit my day job. This is incredible. And we started teaching these classes, but the sad fact was people don't want to pay for it if they can get it on YouTube for free. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what a lot of it turned out to be. You know, I have done a lot of classes afterwards and you know, you hit some successes here or there, but in time-wise and what you make and the time involved in it, you know, because I'd have to set up the studio in the kitchen. I'd get the computers up. I'd get the lights up. I'd get everything prepped. I'd have to get everything going. You'd have to have some cooked already. You'd have to be making one. You'd have to have almost like three steps of it done for this quick class you're doing, this one hour or 45 minute class. And it was a lot of work for, for just a couple hundred dollars. And I'm like, oh, I think I'll pass on this from now on. But it gave me the experience and put me in front of Google. And the next thing I know from doing these, these hangouts, uh, these classes uh, from people around the world, uh, Google noticed me and they had me on their follow page with, with uh, Rachel Ray, Anthony Burdain, Martha Stewart, Amber Lagasse, Chef Dennis. And I'm going, how the hell did this happen? Wow. So on Google Plus, I had over 1 million followers Wow. because I was actually using their product as they intended it to. So I was one of the chefs they featured because those other chefs had pages, but they were just run by their, their PR departments or different things. But I was actually doing what they wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. So that was the beginning. Every other social media, I was late to the game. Facebook, Twitter, I was late to the game. But Google Plus gave me that push. And then I started building my other social media accounts. Um, Pinterest, you know, first time Pinterest sent me an invitation, I thought it was a, a joke or, or a spam. So I deleted it. And then I was begging for another invitation. Um, but just learning how to use the social media at that point, because of Google Plus, I had friends all around the world. And this is where collaboration really comes in. You know, you never know. I had this one guy message me and I, I thought he was a Middle Eastern person from his name. And it was just another one of these people on Google that was just going to like oh, bother me and stuff. And it turned out to be one of my best friends. He lives in Italy and I have gone to see him a few times. And we we just talked a little while before I talked to him three or four times a week regularly. Uh, but I met people like this all around the world that were willing to give me their time to ask some questions, whether it was about SEO, uh, whether it was about food photography, whether it was about uh, you know another style of cooking or another aspect of blogging, that they were just willing to help. So I built this network uh, of people you know around the world that were, were there for me. And I ran the first, I actually ran the first online conference hmm. in 2013 that was ever held. I told Google, I said, this is what I'm going to do in there because Google would call me. And the first time they called me, I was like Ed Grimley running around the houses. Google's going to call me. Google's going to call me. And then I was like, after a while, I was like, no, you can't do that. No, no, no. Just stop that. You know? And they're like listening to me. And I said, I want to have an online conference. And they go, really? And I says, yeah. So I had an online conference. I had a virtual cocktail party. I had 10 sessions over two days and talking about different aspects of blocking SEO and everything involved. 
And I ran three of those until I got bored and then went on to something else. Yeah, that's great. What is the name of your blogs and some of your social media now, in case the listeners want to go check that out? My blog is A Culinary Journey with Chef Dennis, and it's askchefdennis.com. So it's real simple. And my social media is Ask Chef Dennis. You can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Pinterest, on Instagram, and it's just Ask Chef Dennis. Or if you Google Ask Chef Dennis, you'll get a whole list of different things I do. Pretty easy to find me. Awesome. I'll put and I'll put all that into the show notes with your bio. So if anyone is listening and wants to reach out, ask you more questions, find out more about this stuff, they'll be able to have all those links readily available. I want to take a quick pause here at this halfway point in the show and ask. Have you ever thought about creating your own personal chef service? I'm talking about you having a culinary career without the crazy, typical kitchen schedule and a dead-end job, usually without benefits, while making super low pay and never, ever having enough time for the people you love and the things you want to do in life. Well, if you want to change, want to be your own boss, then creating your own personal chef service just might be the perfect fit for you. How does this typical day in the life sound? You cook three to five entrees with sides in a client's home. You get paid on average anywhere between $250 and $500 per cook day. You're home by four o'clock to pick up your kids from school or watch them play soccer or go to yoga. In addition, you can chef for intimate dinner parties for these same clients. Anywhere between 2 and 20 guests in beautiful homes for a large fee. While being tipped $100, $200, $300 on top of it because you are amazing. And all of this is done while building a hearty stable of reoccurring clients who want, need, and can afford your service on a regular basis. Now, if you've always wanted to be in charge of your own career in life and can see yourself running your own personal chef business, then you need to check out Elite Personal Chef with Stephanie Heller, because it all starts with learning from someone who's gone before you and has made all the big mistakes so you don't have to. Stephanie and her team have cooked for over 850 athletes, families, and professionals over a 13-year span. And now, through her Elite Personal Chef program, she teaches culinary entrepreneurs like you how to book and cook for athletes and CEOs so that you can have a consistent income and a predictable schedule. Talk to Stephanie today. What do you have to lose? And learn from someone who has the business and lifestyle you want. There's no reason to wait any longer. Your future clients need your cooking and creativity right now. Now, to get more information on Stephanie, her free giveaways, and her elite personal chef courses, just go to stephanieheller.com. That's Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, last name Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R. That's www.stephanieheller.com. I'll also put a link in the show notes for you as well. Okay, so now back to the show. So where do you think blogs are today? I know a lot about, they're starting a lot more vlogs, video logs, right? Yep. That are writing the blogs. I don't know if that is a trend or if that's going to be, you know, something that uh, takes over blogs. Is blogs dying? Are they still around? What's your opinion on where it's all heading today? I think blogs are, are continually evolving, at least for I think for the next 10 years, I see him still being a viable content source. Uh, how we've written stories has changed. When we first would write, we wanted people wanted stories. Now you hear is, you know, I don't need to hear about how your grandmother picked this herb in Italy to make this dish. Just give me the damn recipe. Right. You know, so it's more about like when I write now, I have a formula I kind of developed. And it's really pretty simple. I'll post a picture, a step-by-step -step picture or a picture, and then I'll write about it. So I just, and that I learned that doing travel blogging where I would post a picture and then write about the picture, post a picture, write about the picture. So it leaves out a lot of your intent on writing stories. It, it, it stops you from uh, over vocalizing some things that people just don't want to know. It's just, just, you know, dragnet, just, just the facts, man, yeah. just the facts, you know, that kind of a thing. Um but I think blogging is around vlogging. You know, I don't think so as much. It had its day in the sun. I think just like live streaming had its day in the sun. It's it's a very particular audience 
that will sit and watch something for a half an hour to an hour. The attention span these days is short bits, which is why TikTok and Instagram Reels are doing so well. People want to consume information in a minute yeah. and they don't want to have to sit there. Podcasts are completely different because this is something to entertain you while you're commuting, while you're doing other tasks. So you can listen, but to actually have to visually watch something, I think that animal has gone for now, you know, in long and longer, uh, longer videos. What about like YouTube and Rumble and a lot of these platforms that are showing cooking videos and, yeah. you know, and monetizing it is it possible for the creators so they're getting something back? Where do you see those going? Uh, you know, I think they'll still be around. You really need to, with YouTube, you really need to get a lot of views to make monetizing even worthwhile to, you know, to put the ads that bother everybody on them. It's the same thing with blogging. You know, I tell people, you know, they, they aren't getting a lot of page visits. Well, don't annoy your readers right now. Wait till you, you have enough traffic to make it worthwhile to you. Um, but I, I think there's always going to be the YouTube niche. And again, it's, it's developing that product that you have followers that want to see. Uh, cooking videos. I mean, you can Google chicken marsala and you'll get a hundred different ways to make it or more on YouTube. You know, so it's a matter of how do I pick which one, which one's the shortest one? Is it, a, you know, to the point in five minutes? Uh, tasty kind of revolutionized the cooking video with their tasty style videos that are mm -hmm. done in a minute, a minute and a half. Uh, I think lead ons like that, getting people interested and hooked uh, is the key to watch, get him to watch longer videos. Right. And they make a, a connection with the, with the host, with the chef, right? Yeah. As well. And the thumbnails, they come into it. And yeah. A lot of those parts. Just, just like with the, um, on, you know, I got a lot of pushback from the, my ad company when I put the jump to recipe button on it. But my SEO guy said, you know, Dennis, because a lot of big bloggers are using it. It's not bad because people want to go see the recipe and see if it's doable. Mm -hmm. see if they think they can make it. And then later on the day when they go make it, then they'll come back to it and look through it. But you have to give them that opportunity to see if it's something they feel comfortable with. Yeah, that's a good point. I put all my recipes in my YouTube videos right there in the description. So people yeah. don't even have to watch the video. They can just grab it if they want, print, or they can say, oh, now let's see how that was put together. Yeah. So I, you know, I yeah. throw, like you said, give it away. Give the Give the recipes. Yeah, you know, and I have no problem with that anymore. You know, I, I would rather do that than than uh, bother someone. Again, that's why I had the you know, the print recipe button and jump to recipe button right at the very top of my blog. If you don't want to read the story, if you don't want to see the step by step, that's fine. Just go right to it. And I try to put as much in the notes as I can, so if they print it out, they can still get the gist of of the little tips and different things that I do. Mm -hmm. So if someone was listening now and they're probably is that wants to get into, you know, social media, they want to be a chef. And I know I have students that reach out to me and just people in general, and they want to know how to do YouTube, how to do blogging. What advice would you give them? And tell them some ways that you can monetize it, because how can you turn this into at least recoup your costs and eventually, hopefully mm -hmm. become maybe a viable source of income? Uh, it's it's easier than you think, but on one aspect, and it's more difficult than you might realize on the other hand, because the blogosphere has gotten saturated. Uh, everybody, it's just like opening a restaurant. Everybody thinks it's easy and they're going to make a ton of money until they actually start doing it and they see what's involved and how much the costs are. Creating a blog really doesn't incur a lot of costs right off the bat. But you know you need to be a good photographer. So you know, luckily, phones have, have can take pictures that are great these days. So you don't necessarily need to get a camera right away. Mm, yeah. uh, but there's ex there's money that needs to be spent in order to make money. And it's the old adage, you know, in order to make money, you have to spend money. And a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, it, it's still a, a. I tell people right now, like I have friends. I says, look, you need to start your blog now. They're in their thirties. I says, we're going to play the long game. You know, don't quit your day job, but let's start working on it. When you have time, let's start developing some recipes. Let's start getting a good feel for it and get it working. Plan on your first three years, four years even. You know, it's just like the old business thing. The IRS used to let you take a loss those years because they knew you weren't really going to be ready. Right. Same thing with blogging. You know, 
there are people that have come out in a year and just skyrocketed, you know, right place, right time kind of thing. But, you know, other people, honestly, it's going to take you a while before you start making more than enough money just to pay your costs, you know, just to pay for your host, just to pay for your um, different things that you may have to put onto your blog. Uh, but it can be, you know, I've been six figures now for five years and it just starts, started doubling pretty much, you know, and it's, it's unreal what you can make blocking, um, off your ads, off of sponsored content, brands will hire me to write blog posts for them. And what I make pales in comparison to what other people make. So, I mean, I have a friend that makes over a million dollars a year. Really? Blogging? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. And it's not as, un- I mean, granted. I got to start blogging. <laughs> I'm telling you, again, it's the long game. You know, I, I'm into retirement now, making more than I ever dreamed possible, making five times what I did as a chef. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's just, it's crazy. It just makes no sense to me. And I basically work when I want to work. You know, if I decide I just want to watch Netflix all day, I'm going to do that. You know, I'll come do my little bit of work in the morning. You know, I I have a routine. I drink my coffee. I do social media. And then I start working on other things. Um, It's easier to set your schedule. But then again, you know, you have to be prepared for what comes with that. I have about a dozen people that work for me in some capacity, you know, taking pictures for me, reshooting old posts. You know, one of the big things is I just don't have time to go back. So you have to understand what there is available for you to to help you having VAs in other countries that will post social media for you. Uh, You know, you have to have a lawyer on staff. You have to have an SEO guy on staff. I have someone that watches the back end of my blog. It's called the sleep soundly plan, you know, from NerdPress. So you don't have to worry about what's going down and what's going to break because they have someone watching it all the time for you. Yeah, so true. So many parts and it keeps, it doesn't get any easier. It keeps growing because as you get bigger, you need more and more of that support. Yeah. And you know, like right now I could scale it back severely if I didn't want to like say tomorrow morning, I woke up and says, all right, I'm done. I could scale back a lot of the stuff I do and just get the residual income and it would stay good for a while. But you know, as long as I'm happy doing it, it was just like cooking. You know, nothing made me happier than cooking for other people. And this is now how I can reach other people. I'm not actually cooking for them, but I'm doing something even better. I'm helping them be able to cook in their homes. I'm telling them what they need to do to make this food in their homes. And that's the key too. You mentioned you got to have that desire, that passion yeah. to do this, especially at the beginning, because yeah. you're not going to make any money. You're going to spend a lot of time. And if you're frustrated and you're doing it only for money, it's never going to happen. Yeah. You need to be there and put in that, like you said, the long game years and years, and eventually it pays off. Oh yeah. You know, you need that, that passion to hold you through that and then to continue that momentum later on. Yeah. And and the other part of that is not just complaining every time Google does something, which they do all the time. I mean, they are always changing the game and uh, staying abreast of what's new. Like I should really be on TikTok, but I just don't have the energy for it. Yeah, me neither. You know? You know, and I, I, I'm okay with that, but you know, I, I know I should be, and I keep thinking. I just bought three new cameras to do videos, but I'm like, oh, I just don't have the energy. Uh, so maybe I will, maybe I won't. Maybe my granddaughter will learn how to do it and want to do it for me. You know, <laughs> well, that that's the other piece of advice. Don't try to be everywhere, especially at the beginning. No. You know, pick your lanes. Like I have three podcasts. I have a YouTube channel. I'm trying to write a second book right now. You know, I'm already spread thin. So if I wanted to get into, say, TikTok and Twitter and all these other areas that I may be in a little bit. You know, you just wipe yourself right out. Oh, so yeah. when you're starting out, find those lanes, whatever that is. Don't try to be everything for everybody. No. And then, you know, you'll find, you know, your success down the road. If I was to tell, let's say you came to me and said, Dennis, I want to be a blogger. What should I do? I would say, make food that you love to eat and make food you love to serve your friends. Do a one, at least one a week. And when you have 50 blog posts, then we're going to start pushing you on social media. Okay. Mm. Because if you, I just read something in one of my groups, I have nine blog posts and I can't get any traction. Like, okay. You know, (laughs) you know, that's not how it works, but you know, you don't even want to start promoting yourself until you have enough to bring people in. 
And, you know, people, I, again, I see a lot of people always saying, um, I search keywords to see what I should write about. I have never, ever done that. I may do keyword stuff after I've written the post, but before it's like, what do I, what do I want to eat? Yeah. What is my, what do my readers want me to make? You know, I had someone wanted me to make an Amatra Shana. So I, so I did that, you know, it's like, uh, uh, what do I want to make that I think people will enjoy eating? It's never about what's going to rank well. The idea after that is for you to be passionate enough about it, to write it well enough, and then to start promoting it so that other people want to eat it and want to read about it. So, you know, you're creating the growth behind it yourself. Yeah, I agree. I have some of my YouTube videos, one of 180,000 views. I have another one that has like 50, but that one with 50 was something I wanted for dinner. I wanted to cook it. It was helping me learn and continue my culinary journey. So I wanted to try that recipe out. People are like, yeah, that people aren't interested. And I go, yeah, but I am and I'm the creator and I had to spend the money for the food. So sometimes you do it for yourself. Absolutely. And again, if it's something that that's good, it may take a little while, but other people are going to start to notice it. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the, I rank for things I have no business ranking for, you know, uh, for uh, barbecue, for for uh, pulled pork and for baby back ribs. I'm like, I, I, you know, I'm not a grill master. But again, it's people are looking at a guy who doesn't do that. They can do that, telling them how they can do that. Right. So it's like, you know, so that all if Jan can cook, you can too, you know, well, <laughs> you know, me not being a pit master smoking and doing all this other stuff with the meats, you know, it's just making it simple and you can still have something really good at your house, you know, that kind of philosophy. Mm-hmm. So if someone wanted to get into it, do you have any resources that they should get? Is there a book? Is there a Facebook club? Is there things they can get involved in so that can help them make that beginning a little bit easier? Absolutely. There's a lot of Facebook groups, the, the central foodie blogger. I, you know, I can send you a list to put on there too, uh, so I don't recall them all offhand. Okay. But uh, one of the biggest resources for me is I, I belong to Mediavine. And Mediavine has been the godsend for bloggers, for not just me, but for we have 9,000 bloggers in the group now, and they pay us for ads. It's the largest blogging network in the world. And uh, they all run Google ads. They're one of Google's largest uh, ad groups. And um, so many resources there, other bloggers you meet. You know, again, I tell people, you know, a competitor, even as a chef, the guy down the street that might be cooking the same thing as me really isn't my competitor. He is, but he should be my friend. Mm -hmm. We should be talking to each other, helping each other. Because, you know, a rising tide lifts all the boats. Right. If you spend your time trying to bring someone down, it's only going to hurt you in the long run. It's going to hurt both of you. So, you know, when you find someone, you know, and just don't come to a mentor and start like bleeding them dry with questions, you know, build a relationship. You know, it's about relationships. We do business with people we like. Right. We, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone that's lower priced or better at something. It's people we like. So you want to develop that relationship. You want to ask questions. You want to be respectful. You want to don't want to invade someone's time too much, but you want to find that person who's willing. And I'm always willing to help people that approach me that way. You know, uh, if you have a couple minutes, is there, could you just answer this one question or is there, how did you do this? I'm very transparent. I, I entered the blogosphere when no one would tell you anything which is how I became Ash Chef Dennis. I would learn something and I would post about it. And that's all I ever did. You know, uh, people now, what did you get for that blog post? I will tell them point blank. You know, this is how much they paid me for that. I'm, I'm not hiding anything. I'm not bragging, but I'm not hiding anything. Uh, I'm letting you know, this is what you can achieve. Mm-hmm. You, you can, you know, get $3,000 for you know, one blog post, you know, I have friends that get $10,000 for one blog post. So it's everything in perspective, you know, it's, it's a lot of money, but it's not as much as other people are making. So everything in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So true. So you were doing these online cooking classes way before they were popular. And then COVID, the pandemic really pushed, you know, everybody indoors. And the big thing you see is Zoom cooking classes. Oh, yeah. Because I've even done some of those, this corporate team building. What do you think of those? And is that something that's going to continue, something you've had a lot of experience with? Well, you know, the the chefhangout.com that I was part of in the beginning, you know, I probably did uh, a couple hundred cooking classes on those. Uh, easy. And again, yeah, they were very successful. 
but it was a limited, you know, it, it's something like if you're not, if you have the time and you're not making a lot of money from other resources, it's great. It's fun. It's something to do. I get asked to join other groups like that, other uh, media companies all the time, but it's a matter of me spending my time at, at my age now in retirement, I could work 16 hours a day if I wanted to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to. Right. Uh, I, I think home cooking classes are great. I think as as things improve, they'll get easier to do and they'll be uh, easier to, to give other people. You know, the problem with online cooking classes live is that you have to find a time that kind of works. Yeah. You know, if you've got a following the globe, yeah, that's the, I mean, I had when I went to California, yeah. you got different time zones. Just in this country, I did a class and I had people in Japan. Yeah. I had people in Spain. I had people in the Netherlands, someone in Florida, someone in Colorado. One class I, I did, I had all these people, you know, at this, and the guy in Japan was in the morning and we were cooking a seafood dish, yeah. you know, and he's putting it in the window goes, Chef Denny, Chef Denny is okay. Is okay. You know, he's showing me how he's cooking, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, this is just insane. But you got to get a live, even with like live video, live uh, streaming now, it's finding a time that people are going to watch live. People watch replays. You know, they don't always watch live as much. That's where, you know, YouTube comes in and YouTube's so popular because those resources are there on your time frame. Right. So, you know, I think there's always going to be, and I think online is getting even stronger because of the pandemic and remote working. So I still think it's a good- And more acceptable too, to do those type of classes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, maybe that will become more available and, and, and again, something that will be more profitable. And again, it's up to the person that's running them to decide, you know, if it's profitable enough for them. You know, years ago, if I could make $200 in an afternoon, I'd been, hey, this is great. Right. You know, now it's like, oh, I don't put pants on for $50. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of a perspective. Yeah. Where you are in the, in your, in your journey. Correct. Right. right. But yeah, I found it with the Zoom class too. Nobody wants to do it on the weekends because they're off and they're doing things. Yeah. And then during the week, you know, you got to do it after they get out of work. So that's like six o'clock, but you can't do it too long because then they're eating at nine. Right. So you got to try to find that 90 minutes, 60 minutes right in there. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it makes it a little bit more tough, but they are fun. Oh, they are. And, and I think if you could get a regional one, like if you could build regional interest groups, you know, which is, I think sometimes we think too globally. But say if you're in Florida and you just attacked Florida and tried to get uh you know your your readers there and then after you develop that maybe attack another time zone, mm -hmm. you know that might be a way to do it. Uh, but again, there's there's work involved with anything. You know nobody just hands you money. Right. You know you have to work for it, and, and there's a lot of time and and work behind it. So most people get discouraged when they don't get that immediate gratification or something doesn't work right away. You know, I, I'm the same way. You know, everybody's just human nature. It's um, we've been raised to expect more of immediate gratification from something. Uh, so it's, it's difficult, but it's, it's something that you can do if you really are passionate about it mm -hmm. and you enjoy the, the whole thing is, do you enjoy doing it? Which is why a lot of people don't cook because they don't enjoy it. Well, you got to change your way of thinking about cooking. You have to, Cook with foods that you like to eat, not necessarily what I post. You know, if there's, I tell people, if there's broccoli in the recipe and you don't like broccoli, leave it out. Put spinach in, put something else in. You know, it's it's not going to kill it. Uh, and get to the point where you're cooking. With, if you cook with foods you enjoy eating and you sit down to dinner and you go, wow, that was good. Right, right. Next time you're going to want to go back in again. Right. So true. So true. So what's next for you? Where do you see yourself going in the next year, five years? How are you building your business? What do you think is going to happen in the in the in the environment that we're in? Well, you know, I I always spend money to improve my business. That's something. You know, it wasn't needed to put food on the table when I started it, uh, and it was something I've always known that you have to spend money to make money. So I've hired SEO people this year. I always had a blog audit done, but I actually hired a company to help correct my blog posts and make them more SEO friendly. Mm -hmm. um, I hired someone to get me on podcasts. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm with you today. Uh, a company yes. a company in Colorado is, is you know, marketing me for podcasts. Uh, again, just to get 
the word out. Uh, before COVID, I had a really interesting concept I was going to put in play. And when travel stopped, I kind of sidelined it, but I was going to get bus stop signs uh, all throughout Orlando that said, what's for dinner? Ask Chef Dennis. Oh. <laughs> you know, and uh, we, we may be coming back to that, revisiting that soon. But uh, you know, in the next five years, I would like to still be enjoying what I'm doing, still cooking, still writing my blog, still helping people discover some joy in their kitchen. But I like to get back to traveling. Mm. I, I love to travel. And um, the last two years have been kind of quiet. And, you know, I love cruises and just being in other countries and, and eating different food. And because I'm a chef, I, I get into a lot of places, you know, people, you know, I was in Madrid and they're taking me to all these, we went in this one kitchen because where they were had all the little baby pig heads lined up that they were roasting in this oven that had to have been, I don't know how many hundreds of years old, uh, you know, and, and I go in other places, I go, oh, I got to eat barnacles. They were excited for me to try barnacles. They were expensive. And he says, we got permission to get you barnacles. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> kind of like a snail. Yeah. You know, glad I got to try it. Not necessarily something I'll ever order again, but I mean, when people are excited to share something with you, you got to love it. You got to be passionate about it. So people, oh, I can't wait to take you here, Chef Dennis. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, okay. My wife laughs because whenever we eat out, when the chef feeds me something, it's the best thing I've ever had because of the interaction with the person. Sure. You know, and later on, I can be a little more, you know, I can break it down a little bit more. But at the time, it's like, oh, my God, this was fantastic. The sauce, the meat was cooked just right. I loved it. Everything was good. And I'm just loving life because it's part of a, a bonding between people. You know, the chef's coming out here. He's sitting with me. He's talking to me. Or even the server recommended it. They thought this was, I would like this. You know, I always give a server two to three choices before I order. I said, all right, what should I get? This, this, or this. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll let them kind of make the decision for me. Yeah. You know, they'll say, you know, they'll help lead me in what I want to get. Um, but just when you, when people see you're happy with something that they made for you, you know, it's just like, it just really enriches the experience mm -hmm. of eating. And for me, if I was cooking and cooking, so it goes both ways. So true. So true. Well, as we come to the end of our chat today, before we wrap up, is there any last minute advice or guidance that you want to leave with the listeners, something that you want to share? Maybe they want to go into this career. Maybe they want to be bloggers. Maybe they want to go to culinary school. Anything you would tell them? Well, if you're thinking about culinary school, I, I personally don't think you could find a more satisfying profession to be in. You know, you're going to work hard. I always tell people, don't think it's going to be easy. Um, but something that's going to be fulfilling to you, something that you'll always be able to find a job doing. You know, it, it, you're not going to be out of work. If you work hard, the rewards will be great. I mean, and I wish I had gone to a culinary school, you know, all things being equal and looking back, if I had done that when I first started, I, I think it would have really helped me develop a, a, a better understanding for everything early on in my career and given me a good groundwork for it. Uh, one of the things I did when I was at teaching was I got tired of my girls looking and goes, oh, chef, after real college, we might go to culinary school. It's <laughs> real college. you know." <laughs> so I took them to, to the CIA up in Hyde Park and they got off the bus with their mouths just open and going, oh, my God. And just being there at the end of the day, I called home and says, I want to go back to school. I want to go back to school. You know? It's just such an experience, you know, whether you choose Johnson and Wales or some of the other local schools that are around, you know, do it, do it, you know, learn, be a sponge, live the life. You know, it's just something you'll never regret. I promise you that it's a, it's a skill that will serve you in life. If, even if you don't work in the profession. Uh, so I would just say, do it for blogging. You know, like I told you before, you know, play the long game. It don't expect to be, you know, the best new thing on the market, but start building up your your cred. Start uh, developing recipes. Start sharing what you love about food, mm. and the rest will come to you. It's just time. Good advice. So true. 
Well, that is just about all the time we have for this episode. I want to first thank you, Dennis, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. Really appreciate your time, your insight, and your honesty. Oh, thank you, Colin. It was my pleasure. You know, I love uh, sharing what I know about food and and helping people any way I can. Okay. Well, thanks again. I really enjoyed our chat. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207 207- 835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you, and that is to share the podcast with everyone you know and to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next Culinary School Story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.